The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Rockheads, stop emulating your hardware and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 571 with guest Daniel Simmons, recorded live Saturday, June 26, 2010. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms, WPF, Silverlight, and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And now... The man who thinks Twitter.com should be rewritten in PowerShell, Carl Franklin. Thank you very much, and welcome back to .NET Rocks. Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell here with you. And uh, we are live in the studio. And I say live, I mean Richard is here in the studio, Pop Studios. We're here for the .NET Rocks live weekend, which you may have missed. Chances are you did. Yeah, some folks have missed it. We didn't advertise it too heavily because this is really a technological trial. Yeah, and it was an uh, experiment to see if, well, to see if we could pull it off and we succeeded. Yeah, although and it definitely has stressed the hardware in the building, hasn't it? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, and, as well and, as the people. As well as the engineers, exactly. Uh, but it was also a test to see if the people who did show up really liked it. And I think they really did. Yeah. So what we did, and this show is a recording from the live weekend, what we did is Richard came down from Canada, and we spent three days in the studio from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. with only a break for lunch and a break for dinner, every hour a new show. And um, we took all that and we streamed it live, not just to your desktop, but to your cell phone. So you could listen in on your BlackBerry, on your Windows phone, on your iPhone, and on your Android phone. Uh, and we had listeners all over the world. We had a tweet storm going. We had uh, uh, Skype going. People call in through Skype. We had our 800 number they could call in. We, had, uh, we were answering emails. It was really for the purpose of getting back in touch with the community and um, letting you speak, letting you talk to our guests and talk about uh, the things that you're thinking about. So this show was one we recorded on Saturday night with Dan Simmons, and we talked about Entity Framework, and this was the second to last show of the day, so we were having a little bit of fun. <laughs> <laughs> 
But uh, if you like the content, you like this, is, you think this is something that you'd like to hang out and do on the weekend uh, another time, let us know. You know, let us know if you missed it because you weren't paying attention or whatever. Um, and if you were listening and there were, or there were technical difficulties that prevented you from listening or anything uh, that you want to tell us about that, please send us email at .net rocks at franklins.net. All right. But before we do that, let's uh, do a little better know framework. Awesome. So, All right. What do you got? So uh, today's class is the system.windows.media.media player. Hmm. Now, you've heard about system.windows.controls.media element. Yes. Well, the media player is unlike the media element, which is a control, right? Right. This is not a control that can be added directly to the user interface. Uh, to display media loaded using a media player, use a video drawing or a drawing context. So, in other words, this is a programmatic media player. Okay, so this is just for playing media, not necessarily showing media. Yeah, and here are the remarks. Although you can declare an instance of this class in XAML, you can't load and play its media without using code. To play media in XAML, only use a media element. Also, if you declare an instance in XAML, the only practical use is to fill property element syntax for the player property. When distributing media with your application, you can't use a media file as a project resource. In your project file, you have to instead set the media type to content and set copy to output directory to preserve newest or always. Gee, that's intuitive. Yeah. Media player can be used in two different modes depending on what is driving the player, independent mode or clock mode. In independent mode, the media player is analogous to an image, and the media open through the open method drives playback. Right In clock mode, the media player can be thought of as a target for an animation and thus will have corresponding timeline and clock entries in the timing tree, which controls playback. So that I guess what we're getting at here is this this isn't something that you just use to throw up a video on a screen for right. the purpose of watching a video. That's media element. Yeah, you have a lot more control with this in terms of animation and timelines and everything yes, else. This sounds like a programmatical interface to an animation or anything like that mm-hmm. where you you know, maybe the user is doing something and you can animate according to their behaviors. It's, right. it's a lot can, more sensitive. Exactly. Or you can do some sort of animation over it with right. graphics and elements. It's interesting. So, Richard, who's talking to us? Oh, I got an easy one for you. The subject line is .NET rocks, rocks. And so does DNR TV. Hey, guys, I must first off commend you on an awesome show. I've been a loyal listener for about four months now. I was introduced by a friend, and I can't believe I've never heard of it before. I've been programming in .NET for about two years now and found your shows, and it introduced me to a lot of technologies within .NET that I was never aware of. A suggestion for the podcast was to have more technical tutorials until I stumbled along to DNR TV. I particularly enjoyed the demo on AutoMapper, which I required a mapping system in a project that I was busy with. And after watching the video, it solved my problem and so much more. I will be able to go through all the previous videos to get more valuable information. So keep up the awesome work from sunny South Africa. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks, Robert, for your great email. I'm going to send a mug to South Africa for you. And, hey, if you've got a friend who's learning to program or doesn't know about our show, why are you keeping it a secret? Let them know and get them to send us an email. We'll send them a mug, .NET rocks at franklins.net. Now check out this uh, previously recorded show from the .NET Rocks Live Weekend. You're listening to .NET Rocks Live Weekend, and Daniel Simmons is here with us. Hi, Daniel. Hey, how's it going, guys? 
Uh, going well? We haven't talked to you in a while, my friend. It has been a little while. I've been, uh, you know, heads down uh, working on the product. Well, you guys actually shipped in studio for a change. That's something. Yeah, uh, it has been a little bit different this time around. And Nothing no kidding. wrong with that. Yeah, I remember way back when, when EF didn't make the 2008 cutoff, and like, uh-oh, and then you made it into the service pack, which is good. Yeah, I, I can't quite believe I've been working on this product as long as I have. You know, I moved all around Microsoft so much, and now I've just uh, uh, stayed in one place for a while. And uh, Entity Framework is uh, is a fun gig. And we are talking about Entity Framework for those who have been sleeping under a rock for the last, you know, couple of years, Daniel Simmons. Mm-hmm. And uh, so... So what's new since the last time we talked? Uh, well, I, you know, the big thing is that we shipped Entity Framework 4. Um, and uh, That would be the second version of Entity Framework. That's, that's <laughs> right. Uh, we, we like to call it V2 squared. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I like and, it. Uh, uh, you know, that's just because we crammed so many features in one release. Um, also, of course, because it shipped with .NET 4. Right. And, uh, you know, I think the last time we talked, we had, you know, we were talking about EF4 back then, but it wasn't out the door yet. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and uh, so that's the big thing. And then, you know, of course, uh, a while before we ship a release, we start ramping up on planning and uh, execution for the next round. And we're just uh, more, uh, you know, more features, better perf, all those things, just working on the next round. So you're working on EF3. No, 5. Yeah, something like that. I, I for I'll one, let the marketing guys pick the name once again. Daniel, I for one like the fact that everything is now version four. I think it makes more sense. Yeah, it's simpler. It's simpler because it, now it feels like one product, one big .NET product. I I agree. I think that's great. Uh, I won't make any promises about you know what the marketing team will do for the names next time. You know, maybe okay. we'll go for, you know, like uh, four plus the square root of two or something. <laughs> it, it'll be some other crazy scheme that we don't <laughs> we don't have as much control over as we'll we call ought to. It the Microsoft.NET Framework for Entities and Data Access Library-ish. Yeah. like that. And, five, and five more words. Yeah. It's not. The name is not long enough. <laughs> We've been asking our guests today to reach back into their experiences and come up with some stories of, oh, I don't know, funny meetings you've been in, uh, customers that have been doing interesting things or stuff that you never thought about before, or, uh, you know, just some of those great moments that we have in software development, that uh, sure. the unexpected moments. Do you have any stories like that you could share? Sure. I can tell a few stories. Uh, you know, the the ones that come to mind immediately are just, you know, not really specific to Microsoft or, or the products that I work on, but just what it's like being on a crazy team that's working all hours of the night. And, so you're saying your teammates are crazy? Um, you know, I think all good developers are crazy. Nice. Oh, that's good. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the longer you work, the, the crazier you get. Um, yeah. Well, and especially the sprint to making stu- the, the studio ship date. I mean, that's got to be hairy. I don't know. Don't care who you are. Yeah, I, you know, I think I think every product uh as you're as you're pushing to ship uh you know has some of that kind of intense stuff. Uh, you know, I think a lot about some of the earlier uh, earlier times at Microsoft when I was working on uh Outlook when I first started at the company and uh you know, uh we used to do uh crazy stuff like 
uh, at one point, my team was critical path for shipping Outlook 98. Ouch. And uh, mm. uh, this went on for quite a long period of time, and we were working on something that everyone on my team was getting interrupted frequently by uh, people with whatever kind of questions and so on. And so my wife went and shopped around at all these different toy stores until she could find these toy guns that I remembered from when I was a kid hmm. that shoot little round plastic discs. They used to call them uh, Star Trek guns or something. Oh, yeah, I know the ones. Yeah. And, wow. and made a and and also bought just like a huge pile of those discs, and I went into every office of my team members and put a gun on their desk and a pile of discs, and I said, "Here's what you do: the moment someone walks in your door, you point the gun at them and you say, What? Does this have anything to do with what I'm typing right now? Oh, and unless they can say yes, you just shoot at them until they leave. <laughs> I like it." <laughs> and uh, it was really effective. I, I'm sure the janitors hated us <laughs> because there were discs everywhere. <laughs> yeah, but it takes it take very long before people just stay away. Uh, that, that's right, and and we actually got some stuff done. So I know? used to, I used to do this with a sign on my door that measured my productivity and in interruptions per hour mm. because the, my optimal productivity was 0.25 interruptions per hour. So anytime someone walked into my office, I would walk past them and change the number on the door, and then go sit down and say. What? Because <laughs> at that point, it's already too late. I've been interrupted. Right. Yeah, I also have a tendency to create the fortress of solitude, you know, where you set a couple of big chairs beside outside your door with a big, like, sign or something so people have to actually crawl to get in the room. Yeah. And uh, yeah. that tends to, to make them less likely to bug you. Yeah. Take the hint. <laughs> that That barbed wire. Landmines, yeah. yep. <laughs> uh, rabid dogs. Used to have signs on the door that said "email only." That's it. And then, of course, you don't check your email. <laughs> so. Yes. Well, so one of the tricks is to put the sign actually on the handle, right? So that they can't ignore it, right? Yeah. <laughs> Didn't you see the sign? No, you touched it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Next, I electrify the knob. <laughs> and I'm not talking about the one on the door, you idiot. Yeah. Get away from me. <laughs> you have a uh, a wet metallic welcome mat yes. and a brass door. Yeah, and a big sign that off. says, step here, I dare you. <laughs> <laughs> now, we're trying to communicate a message here to the listeners, which is yeah. that in order to actually get code written, you need to be left alone. It's so true, though. Yeah. So true. And that's one of the reasons why I'm not writing as much code as I do as I used to, because there's just so many more interruptions now. Yeah, it's difficult. Well, to you know, I done. I have uh, over the last year gone through a real change in my job at Microsoft because I switched from being a, a manager, which I was for a great many years, uh, to back to a more architect role. So I get a lot more time in my office with my keyboard. Uh, uh, staring at Visual Studio instead of Outlook. Nice. And uh, and that has been uh, a lot of fun. Mm. It's a very different kind of world. So what's your role for EF now, then? Well, uh, you know, uh, the EF team is part of this uh, data and modeling group, right. which, uh, you know, is in charge of WCF data services and entity framework and uh, also things like M and and, uh, you know, a whole variety of products. And uh, I'm one of the architects kind of in the larger data and modeling group, but but I'm really the one that focuses on Entity Framework. So you are the architect for Entity Framework. 
Yep, that's the story. We blame I'm you. Sticking to it. <laughs> that's what it's about. Lance Hilliard just tweeted, "DNR Live taught me to quote shoot at them until they leave." End <laughs> quote. Awesome. <laughs> perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> So you obviously are the man to ask about the architectures around the next version of Entity Framework. Yeah, well, we, uh, you know, a lot of the architecture of the, you know, big picture has, has been set in place over the past couple releases, but but we're really focusing in the next kind of release on, um, you know, continuing to just improve developer productivity, continuing to improve the the reach of the product out into all different kinds of features that the databases support uh, and those kinds of things. Um, so one of the things that uh, people have been seeing over the last uh, little while, we, we started releasing these feature CTPs to uh, get some early look at features that we knew weren't going to make it into .NET 4, um, but that we, we wanted to get feedback on and continue developing for the next chance we could have to release them. Nice. So there's actually CTPs out there that give you a taste of what the next version of EF is going to look like. That's right. Uh, and we've, we, uh, we were releasing them kind of in parallel with shutting down on .NET 4. Uh, and, and in fact, uh, there was one that the last one that came out was uh, about the time RC of uh, .NET 4 was released. And uh, we have another one that we're working on coming out uh, not too uh, far from now. Um, hmm. And of course, these CTPs build on .NET 4, so you don't have to like you know get a whole new .NET in Visual Studio to use them. Um, and at some point in the future, once those things come farther along, then we'll switch over and be part of that you know CTP and beta process. That's cool. I, I guess the challenge now that you're sort of in the box is you're are you really not going to ship a version of any framework until the next version of Studio and .NET? It was at at least two years out. Well, it, it is a challenge, and it's something we're spending a lot of time thinking about and working on. Um, not only do we have the, you know, the desire to get things out to folks uh, more frequently than that, but also we really have two different kinds of ship vehicles that we're interested in. One of them is about Visual Studio and .NET, and one of them is about SQL Server. And uh, you know, while Entity Framework definitely supports a variety of databases. Uh, you know, there's no apologies for the fact that we want it, uh, SQL Server to be uh, the best experience. Um, you know, uh, that's the product that pays the bills. Right. And um, and uh, so we're really working on ways to make sure that we ship both with VS and with SQL Server so that the moment SQL Server comes out, there's a great product, great way to use uh, SQL Server features in, in any framework. Um, so there are some interesting logistics. Um, I, I think at a minimum, we're going to look at ways to ship with SQL Server, and we may even try and scheme some ways to ship even a little more frequently than that, but, but I can't really tell for sure if that's going to work out yet. Because the reality is your product's still very young. And waiting two years for a version is not good for anybody. Yeah, well, uh, you know, not only when it's young, even as the product uh, ages, as long as we're doing active development, you know, we want to have a great cycle of communication with customers so that we can tune and improve and really get exactly the thing that adds the most possible value. Um, 
And, uh, you know, I think this is, a, this is a real challenge for a lot of teams at Microsoft because, on the one hand, you want to have that great improvement cycle, and on the other hand, you want to have stability and the value of being in the box, and it all is tested and works together, and, and I can feel really confident about just picking it up and knowing that it goes together. Right. And, you know, a few teams have had some success of kind of going in this sort of half-in, half-out kind of mode, like some of what's been going on with MVC, where it ships not in the framework, but yeah. it does ship with VS. Sort of half-out of band. Yeah, and... uh and I think that's interesting. We're exploring some of those options. On the other hand, imagine that every team that was part of the .NET framework did that. Yeah. Then suddenly, like, being out of the framework would not be good. <laughs> because how would you get the set that works together, you know? Yeah, well, be, suddenly the set becomes confusing. And I think this is one of the things that Silverlight is is struggling with, is that they've always been out of band. Right up until the day that Studio 2010 launched, they were still out of band. Yeah. Uh, well, and, you know, uh, you also have this dilemma that, that shows up with Silverlight, but also shows up in other places, which is that you want to have sort of everything in one place, just download it and use it, but you really don't want to download everything all at once. Uh, and so, you know, particularly for something like Silverlight, where you want to have a really small, tight uh, download experience, mm -hmm. uh, there's this challenge that we want to add more functionality to it, but that will make it bigger and bigger. And so right. how do you sort of make it componentized and still make sense? Um, so right off the bat, I got to think there was, and, and you've obviously already alluded to this with the CTPs that are post EF4, there's a bunch of features that didn't make the cut to be in uh, .NET 4.0 in that incarnation. And so we've already have a pretty good picture of what's in quote unquote EF5. Is there other big thinking going on of major shifts to, to come in EF5? Well, um, probably one of the biggest things that will kind of show up on the surface and people will see right away is that we've been working on ways to make developers a whole lot more productive using the Entity Framework. How can I, you know, what's the absolute least number of characters I have to type how can it be the least number of concepts I have to understand and, and easiest to get started and those kinds of things. And, um, and that's really a part of how, where the CTP has been focused, not so much necessarily on, you know, the features per se, the, you know, there's the obvious set of things like adding enums or, you know, multiple result sets from stored procedures or, you know, different kinds of things. Right. But, but, uh, uh, really trying to, uh, kind of create a speed dial, if you will, so there's a quick path into getting started and using the Entity Framework. And uh, we, you know, we have this uh, EF design blog where we post things as we're doing design work and before things are released. And just in the last week or two, we, we made a post there about uh, uh, this next round of productivity improvements. And uh, uh, it, it really ends up being a pretty different experience. Um, you know, we want to support people who have a database and they want to reverse engineer from a database and, and get going. We also want to support people who want to use the graphical design tool and build a model and have it create a database and create some code for you. Right. But the, these productivity improvements are really especially great for an, another class of users who say, I just want to write my classes, you know, like it's my code. Let me 
write it, right, and then you just handle the saving part. Yeah, and at times I'm going to put stuff away, and when I ask for it back, I'd like it back. Mm. That's right. And that's, that's it. Right. And so, um, so with the this sort of next round of of improvements, and in the CTP, you can just take s- standard Poco classes. They really don't have to have anything special about them at all, um, uh, except uh, some ID uh, idea of a property that represents the unique key for that. Right. Um, and that that uh, key can be determined by a set of conventions. So there's just naming conventions that you can follow, mm-hmm. or you can put an attribute on it, uh, or you can you know call a method in code to, to indicate what it is. Um, and so we have this sort of this uh, three levels of how you can specify everything. And, and the simplest level is if you just follow some conventions, then we figure out what are the entities that are interesting and how are they related to each other and what are their keys and and all you have to write is one little context class that inherits from our um, uh, context, and it just has a series of properties that are the sets of entities that are interesting. Um, and you don't even have to initialize those properties. You just have to put a property on with the right type. Uh, and then we will automatically build a model on the fly, build a mapping to the database, cache it so that it's fast to use, and you know you really have to type just a whole lot less code to get up and running. So Dan uh, Colin Melia, who's listening out there, uh, has a question: Is Link to SQL truly end of line? Uh, you know, this is the question we always get, uh, uh, and I have to give sort of the standard two-part answer, which is on the one hand, absolutely not, in the sense that it's part of the framework. We're not taking it out of the framework. You know. Right. Uh, no more than WinForms is out of the framework. Lots of people still writing WinForms apps. Uh, but uh, at the same time, we're not putting a lot of energy into making uh, better WinForms. And by the same token, we're not putting into a, a lot of energy into making better, fancier link to SQL. Um, you know, the, the energy is going into the entity framework. Yeah, the innovation's happening in EF. So if you right. so if you've got your if you've got existing link to SQL code, there's no need to well, at least there's no need for fear of losing it to port it to EF. But uh, if you're gonna be doing new development, you wanna be using EF. Yeah, yeah, that's really what I would recommend. I mean, we're gonna continue to support link to SQL and and, uh, you know, in all the different ways that that support comes out and the product support services, as well as, uh, you know, making sure that it, it works with new versions of the framework and SQL Server and those kinds of things. Um, but if, if you start a new project, it's really becoming uh, more and more clear that the Entity Framework uh, is a good choice, both because increasingly... It does everything that Link to SQL did, and it's getting uh, as easy or easier to use, um, and because we continue to innovate and, you know, add new functionality there. Okay. I guess the question still is, I mean, folks like Link to SQL because it was so simple. Are you feeling like you're headed towards a simplicity level with Entity Framework? I, I really do. I, I honestly, uh, you know, one of the guys that uh, we spend a lot of time working with, even though he's not in our organization, uh, is Scott Guthrie, um, right. because, you know, he's really plugged into a lot of folks, talks to a lot of customers, and, and has a, a, a pretty good pipeline of feedback for us. And so uh, as we were working on this last round of productivity improvements, we did a, a number of reviews with him. 
Um, and, you know, he's written uh, applications using Link to SQL and started writing them using Entity Framework and and how do we uh, compare that. And and I really think with this, this next round of improvements, it's going to be simpler than using Link to SQL, easier to get started, easier to understand what's going on. And yet there's a smooth ramp uh, to using the more advanced functionality that the EF has rather than having to, you know, completely port your app and change to a different technology if you once you hit the wall of what something like Link to SQL could do. And that's really the goal. Yeah, and just does that mean actually a migration path for the Link to SQL folks or just making it so that why would you even look there? This is the simplest way to go. Well, you know, um uh last summer we had an intern come work on the team focused on on migrating you know, providing guidance and and starting to write some tools for migrating applications from Link to SQL to the Entity Framework, and uh, uh, and we made some progress in that in that direction. But you know, the truth is, every time we sit down and think about how we want to allocate resources, um, it it the analysis comes up. We're better off adding new functionality that makes it easier. Uh, to use the Entity Framework makes your code that you wrote for Link to SQL just work with the Entity Framework right. without as much changes rather than trying to build some kind of auto-porting, modify-your-code tool or something like that. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik, who want me to tell you about JustMock, Telerik's mocking tool. And unlike most mocking tools, JustMock can work with non-virtual methods, sealed classes, and static methods and classes, giving you complete control over your code. And of course, you get that great Telerik quality and support. You can read more and download the tool at Telerik.com slash JustMock. And hey, don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks on their Facebook fan page, Facebook.com slash Telerik. Yeah, I think it's always, we always end up falling on the side of it's always better to build more features. Well, even uh, apart and separate from more features, you know, uh, one of the things that uh, uh, sometimes we'd hear from customers is, hey, I have my app written in Link to SQL, and uh, there's this capability of Link to SQL, the way the link translation works, that in the Entity Framework, I have to write my code a different way, or I have to, you know, work around it to achieve the same task, and uh, uh, why not just make the Entity Framework support those same things? Right. Uh, rather than, you know, making some kind of conversion. And, of course, there's, sometimes there's a balance. There's a few places where, you know, with hindsight, we kind of looked at some decisions that were made by Link to SQL and said, we want to, we just think that the, in the Entity Framework, we made a better decision. It's the right thing long term. There's a lot of places where we say, oh, yeah, that was a great idea. We should just do that, too. Um, and, uh, you know, so that wherever possible, it's just really smooth and simple to to move over. So what about other data sources? And we had a question here from uh, from Chief AG saying, if EF is the future, what about lightweight SQLite implementations? Um, well, you know, the, the Entity Framework uh, already has a full provider model. Uh, you can use it with SQL CE. You can use it with uh, SQL Server. Those are the ones that we ship. Mm-hmm. But third parties have shipped uh, providers for SQLite, uh, for, uh, you know, IBM's prov- uh, databases. Uh, we also have third-party providers creating them for, for Oracle. Uh, and just recently, Oracle announced 
that they're producing a provider for the Entity Framework um, that should be out in beta by the end of this year, I believe, is what they were saying. Right. So, you know, there's a whole realm of these different providers already. And, and uh, you know, I see blog posts and things on a fairly regular basis of people using the Entity Framework with with lighter uh, kind of databases or other kinds of databases. So the answer to the question is already done. There is a SQLite provider for EF. Yeah. Now, uh, you know, when you talk about providers that are written by a third party, I don't know much about, you know, we, we certainly haven't gone and tested them. Right. And uh, and I know sometimes people will say, hey, I have great success with these things, but in these corners, you know, the provider, uh, you know, doesn't handle the case very well or whatever. But but I think, uh, by and large, a lot of that stuff is already available. Cool. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, just a question of finding the right provider. I'm going to go yeah, look for, right. the, for the SQLite Entity Framework Provider, see if I can find one. Yeah, well, you know, if you go to the um, msdn.com slash data page, I believe there's a link right on there to the list of providers that we're aware of. Nice. Um, so there's a pretty quick and easy way to get in and find those things. There it is, SQLite ADO.net Provider supporting the Entity Framework. There you go. Mm-hmm. Do you do much work with RIA services? Is that part of your realm of uh, products? Uh, it's not part of the data and modeling groups, but uh, naturally uh, we do have a fair amount of interaction uh, with that team. Um, yeah. And and in that uh, in that group, we end up having a, a you know a lot of these kinds of discussions where they'll come and say, "Hey, we want to have a great experience with the Entity Framework." Uh, how can you add this feature or how can we, you know, make those things work together well? Right. But I haven't done a lot of that coding directly myself. So uh, it seems to me that you guys would work pretty, like you said, work pretty tightly and closely together. Do, um, do you have architectural meetings where the architecture of RIA services informs the architecture of EF and vice versa? Um, certainly there, there is a fair amount of that. Uh, I think, uh, even more than, uh, entity framework and RIA services, there's an a lot, awful lot of discussion, uh, around, uh, RIA services and WCF data services right. and WCF itself. Right. Um, and, you know, we've been over the last year or two, we've been doing a lot of work, uh, to take all this innovation that's going on in those spaces, um, and, and you know, figure out how to make it as uh, well coordinated as we can. Um, you know, there's a, a a lot of great thinking uh, that end up going in different directions in in the way they are optimized, and then we kind of bring it together. So, you know, RIA services gives you a really great experience when you want to have an end to end. I'm building a Silverlight app, mm. and I'm building a web service because uh, because of that Silverlight app, and that's really the goal. Right. Um, Whereas WCS data services is really great when you say, hey, I, I want to expose some data to a whole bunch of different consumers. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I want to create this ecosystem kind of effect. And both of them are really well optimized for those scenarios. And, and in reality, sometimes we need some of both. And, right. you know, so we're working on that. Right. Yeah, it seems the, the, the solution for building a Silverlight application is combines, you know, SQL... Uh, entity framework and RIA services and Silverlight and WCF and all of that has to orchestrate together nicely. Yeah, I'm just thinking uh, about how much crosstalk there is. 
Yeah, uh, you know, there, uh, there is quite a bit of discussion. And, and in fact, one of the things that's kind of cool as we created the data and modeling group, um, uh, there was also some greater kind of merging of the organizations that owned WCF and WF and those kinds of things with the organization that owns SQL Server. Um, and now the building that we're in these days, uh, you know, the guys that do RIA services and the rest of WCF are just upstairs from me. Nice. You know, it's not like uh, all the way across campus or something. And uh, and so we definitely have, you know, some of those kinds of conversations. Danny, I feel like we're still trying to rationalize all these different data access methods. There's there's so many, and uh, one right there doesn't seem to be one right way or necessarily a completely coherent plan for all of them. Well, I think it, it's the it's the typical kind of pattern when you have uh, you have a complex area and the answer is is not obvious. There's a lot of things going on. You know, you go through uh, uh, different phases. And one of the phases is sort of you branch out and you get people thinking crazy thoughts and you try a bunch of stuff. And then the next phase is where you kind of evaluate what are the most successful things and you figure out how to bring them back together. Right. And uh, and if you look at what has happened with, uh, uh, you know, ORM at Microsoft and data access in that sense, uh, where, you know, I'm talking from a client to the database or from a mid-tier to the database, um, we we've started to have that kind of consolidation, you know, and uh, it's really obvious that there were some great things in Link to SQL and some great things in other places, but we're really pulling that all in, and it's all about the Entity Framework. Um, if you if you look at the next layer up uh, or out on the stack, where you say, hey, I want to have this communication between my mid-tier and a rich client like Silverlight or or some some other kinds of clients, um, you know we're kind of a little earlier in the cycle uh, and we're, we've been doing much more of that kind of branching out, but it's starting to coalesce there as well. And, and that's really what the naming of uh, RIA services to be WCF RIA services and data services to be WCF data services is all part of that. Like we realize those things need to coalesce and there needs to be one coherent story. Right. And you want to be able to say, hey, it's really just all WCF that just has these various capabilities. But is it really? They, they work I mean, well together. WCF data services is not necessarily built at WCF, is it? Like these are actually separate extensions. Uh, it, it is actually built in WCF. Uh, but oh, it's on it, WCF, you know, maybe. WCF has a fair amount, of, uh, a whole bunch of extensibility points. Okay. And, and in data services, they took like a big hammer extensibility point. You know, they like catch the packets at an early stage and right. do a whole bunch of processing on their own. And and one of the ways that we're working on bringing those things together is to say, you know, let's break that down into refactor it into smaller components that kind of fit more into the pipeline of right. how WCF does things. And that gives you, you know, richer functionality and more uh, interoperability between all these different things. And so that someone who's familiar with WCF will understand those entry points a bit better rather yeah. than just the sort of one point that it's a separate product that's hooked to WCF. Exactly. Okay. Um, and, and, you know, I think, I think we're going to see that same kind of progression uh, uh, in multiple areas as we, as we sort of learn what are the best practices and, and can kind of combine things and, and really uh, put all our weight behind. And how does OData fit into this whole equation as well? Well, you know, OData, what a great uh, story that has been. For sure. You know, o, uh, OData is is really just a naming of the protocol 
that WCF Data Services uses. Um, you know, it's Atom, uh, which is a you know internet standard thing, but with a set of extensions to kind of round out the whole experience. And uh, uh, we had this realization fairly early on in the uh, WCF Data Services team. Uh, we in a in a big group sense, not I I wasn't as closely involved in that, but um, that uh, you know. The really interesting part is the protocol. It's not the particular implementation. Mm. WCF Data Services, you know, just makes a really great, easy implementation for .NET. Um, but this protocol allows you to interoperate between lots of different things. And so, yeah. you know, we started building it into Power Pivot in Excel, and we started building it into SharePoint, and we started building it into some of the live services, and and uh, and then we started you know, kind of codifying exactly what that protocol was so that third parties could start building it into their products. And, you know, IBM picks it up and builds it into some things. And 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 pretty soon you have, oh, let's just uh, expose Netflix data. And then yeah. suddenly all these things work, you know. I like to call it CRUD via REST. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's basically what it is. But it's, uh, it is what it is, although th- that makes it sound a little less glamorous, I well, think. Well, but I mean, if you know, that's the elevator speech, you know? But it also feels like a second wave of mashup technology, you know? Oh, totally. Which it, I find it, very It feels compelling. a lot like soap, you know, when soap was around, yeah. but a lot less complicated. Yeah, it's very second wave. It's, we're, getting, we're getting back to something we did a while ago, but now doing it in a way that seems so much more coherent. And everybody is adopting it. And everybody's hip to it, which is what makes it compelling. Yeah, and, and once you have that ecosystem where you have both clients and data sources all coming online at the same time, right. and they can all cross. It's huge. It's like the next. It is a big deal. It's that next ODBC kind of thing, right? Everybody's hinging around this common format. Oh, don't bring up the ODBC. Oh, my <laughs> God. <And> you know, <laughs> but, you know yeah, ODBC I just went, had a nightmare flashback uh, geez, when you, you said go. that. You remember, when, remember the excel provider for odbc they basically implemented querying against excel inside of a driver i'm telling you oh. uh odbc doesn't give me nearly the nightmares that oladb did oh yeah geez. okay yeah, yeah i'll go along with that <laughs> you just blank that one out man <laughs> i forgot all about oladb yeah that's yeah. right, about a two-year blackout period there anyway <laughs> But I like, you know, when when it blows up, you don't have an error message unless you make an API call. Yeah. But what if that blows up? Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, what that, could happen? What could go wrong? I had a customer tell me one time, I want you to get in here and get this ODBC stuff off all these machines because all it does is generate errors. <laughs> Every error was so, an ODBC error. It's a multi-platform error generator. That's it. That's what it did. That's how we saw it. Well, it was certainly an eye-opener for me when I finally moved to working on .NET, and it was like, oh, there's one string class, and everything knows exceptions, and yeah, like, dang. Yeah. <laughs> Life got a lot easier. Really? <laughs> Just like that. <laughs> it's all better. So do you do any C++ development ever? Anymore? Not anymore. So you wouldn't be able to tell me, maybe Kate Gregory could tell me, how many different string class types uh, or string types there are in C++ these days? Like if you add them up. I can tell you that the very last project I worked before I came to work on the team that turned into the Entity Framework team, so that was just about four or five years ago, we actually had to write another string class. Oh, no. Plus. <laughs> oh, no. Good How Lord. could that be? 
we did this big survey of all the options, and we had all these sets of requirements, and none of them were right, and we wrapped some other string class, but, you know, and I, I just couldn't believe it that, you know, it was post-2000, you know, it was like 2005, and I was writing a string class just to get my stupid thing working, and it was an app. I wasn't even working on a framework team. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. And yet we needed yet another string class. Yeah. Uh, tweet from Chris and Harris. He says, what are some new features and fixes specifically coming to the CTP or beyond regarding POCO support? Uh, well, you know, the big thing that's happening in, in the uh, uh, CTP with regard to POCO support is is this idea of uh, uh, code Code first kind of development, right? Which really gives you a much more Poco experience. You know, I just write my classes and 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 then I'm running. Um, the the core Poco support itself, uh, you know, isn't really undergoing a, a lot of change. Uh, most of that kind of is in place. Yeah, but you, and you said this right up front when we started talking was that that here was the you know that. Poco is becoming an even more first-class citizen. You you don't have to think a lot to just make the storage elements work. That's right. Um, I think the other thing that uh, you know we started in uh, as a whole trend in Entity Framework Four, and we're continuing, is to really focus on what are the core building blocks and extensibility points, and and get those right, and then build features on top of them. So. Um, you know, as we uh, uh, work on uh, some feature, uh, I've got some folks working on caching, for instance. Um, the first thing that we do is kind of define what are the plug-in points, the extensibility points we need to make it possible so that we could write caching completely outside the Entity Framework. And let's get those right, and then we'll build a, a caching solution. And, and we'll put it in the box so that you're up and running, but you can use those extensibility points for other things, too. Wow. Um, and that's really a, a key focus. Well, I, I, caching is one of these huge pieces of ORMs in general that just, you know, you could get yourself in a ton of trouble with it, but it's the, arguably the best performance opportunity you've got. Yeah, uh, it, it is pretty interesting. You know, uh, it's already possible to put a fair amount of caching into the Entity Framework now just with the existing hooks. And, you know, I was working with one fairly large customer a few months ago um, where... Uh, they came in and were working in a lab locally, and and uh, uh, they were trying to measure the performance of these web service methods. And they were porting; they had this automatic code conversion porting tool from some completely non.NET old technology. Wow! Um, and uh, and so there's this database that has I don't know like 1,200 tables, and each one of them has uh, many, many, many. Uh, properties, but no relationships. It was it was very interesting, um, and uh, and they ported all this code, and they were measuring their time to to accomplish this web service call, and it was it was surprisingly long. And so we got to we were digging in and profiling, and we got to looking at it. And I wrote this little bitty caching layer that would just cache a whole query. If you made the exact same query again, it would just give you back the result. It wasn't even a fine grained entity level kind of cache, right? And uh, and we discovered that, you know, during the web service call, it went from like 130 trips to the database to five trips to the database nice. or something. And naturally, the app was dramatically faster. <laughs> You're a genius. <laughs> you know? yeah, one, and, thing, one thing I've learned is that it really doesn't take much cash to make a dramatic impact. You know, a half a second, one second. 
to, yeah. you know, if your if your database is under heavy load. Yeah, I mean, when 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 it really matters, it matters a lot. It's just a question of accuracy, you know. Yeah. As soon as you store the data in more than one place, you could be wrong. Yeah. And then well, what? And, and- it's the it's the typical story. Whenever you talk about perf, the key thing is figuring out where the time is really going. Yes, and uh, you know, oftentimes we have this theory like, oh, I know that one algorithm was bad, and then if you actually profile, you discover, yeah, it's bad, but it's like point oh five percent of the time. Yes, yeah. all the rest of the time is you know fifty trips to the database or something. Yeah. Yeah, each one of these trips to the database is lightning fast. Now, if only you weren't making three hundred of them. Yeah. <laughs> That things yeah. would be so much better. Well, get any uh, Christmas cards from the Inhibernate Mafia lately? <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, it seems like that crowd has gotten very quiet. That ah, seems a shame, really. <laughs> well, yeah, is I, it I, because you've addressed all of the concerns? I, I think some of it is that we have addressed a lot of the concerns. Uh, uh, maybe not all of them, but enough that... That people are willing to say, you know, if you want to use the Entity Framework, that's great. Maybe I still use in Hibernate because that's what I know and like. And, you know, great. Uh, more power to you. Um, but, uh, you know, it's it's less of a conflict. I also think there's some some part of that crowd that have, uh, you know, left uh, the .NET platform and gone to do other things altogether. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that, that's fine, too. Uh, but... Uh, but I think, you know, EF4 really was a turning point. Uh, right. And we have a very different kind of conversation now. Instead of people, uh, you know, coming up and saying, hey, uh, what are you crazy people doing? Or what, what is the EF? Or why would I care? The kinds of interactions I have with people are, I'm using the EF. And uh, can you help me optimize this one thing or figure out how to do this other thing? You know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's a very different place to be. Well, and it's, yeah, it's funny to see the evolution of these things. And it seems to me like the question of ORM seems to have died down a fair bit, too. It's just sort of accepted that this is a way to go, and maybe not for everyone, but it, it does seem to work, and, and people are being productive with it. That that whole argument seems to have gotten a lot quieter lately. Yeah, well, you know, it's... Um, it's uh, one of the coolest things about working at Microsoft is that you have an opportunity to have some pretty big influence sometimes. And, and I think that's really one of the things. ORM has been around for a long time, uh, but there were some technical issues and so on, and there was also just not a lot of understanding of what it was and how to use it effectively. And uh, between Link to SQL and the Entity Framework, uh, you know, I think we've lent a lot more credence to that, and then that's allowed in other things, not from Microsoft, to sort of, have more uh, understanding and respect and, and kind of carried that all forward. So I, I have to uh, take advantage of my chance to ask you guys a question. You just uh, not okay. too long ago got through doing this whole tour. Yes. All, yeah. all across the country, talking to lots and lots of people. Mm-hmm. Did you talk to some people who are using the Entity Framework on the tour? Yeah, sure. We do, you know, folks who are using all kinds of different things there. Although generally speaking, I mean, we literally left from the 4.0 launch to go on the road trip. So, you know, most folks had just seen .NET 4. They hadn't really had a chance to exercise it much. I was actually using it in the RV on my laptop. Awesome. Yes. Because he's that kind of guy. Because that's the way I roll. <laughs> he likes... There you go. Because there's something about coding and motion sickness that works for Mr. Franklin. I was severely <laughs> trying to 
um, come up with a Silverlight application uh, using RIA services and um, and the entity framework and and all of that good goodness of stuff. And uh, and I did it. But it, well, and I remember you working on this, Carlton, because it felt like it was still quite a wrestling match to just it was. make your data work when you're working on Silverlight and your server, you, you, your storage is behind HTTP uh, firewall, effectively. That was that was just one problem, but I got around that by downloading the database and instantiating it locally. But um, the big bigger problem I had was that a lot of the tutorials that I had seen, other than the ones that I've done myself that I had seen out there for doing this particular thing, uh, used older versions of the framework in Visual Studio where some, you know, XAML tokens had been deprecated and changed around and namespaces had been moved around. And, and that's the only stuff that was out there. And it was just really frustrating for that reason. I wish, I wish everybody who put up content, you know, would at least publish the date on the page where the video is of, you know, <laughs> when this was made and when stuff comes out that makes it completely a waste of time should be taken down, you know, it, and it I'm, just as, I'm just yeah. as guilty of anyone else because of DNR TV and .NET rocks. That's a lot of content to go through and who, you know, I can't go through every sentence and say, Oh, that's not relevant anymore and take it out of the show. But it's just a fact that, you know, you've got, so much content out there, and knowing what is the freshest is often difficult. It's that reflex now we have whenever we search for anything to say. You almost want to sort it by age. Yeah, it's Youngest like it goes first. bad. Yeah, because it goes bad. It does. Information goes bad like eggplants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and well, if, if you could sort it by age, so uh, youngest to oldest, then you could have a cutoff line. Beyond, you must be at least this young to be relevant. Right, yeah. <laughs> You know, it, it's kind of uh, interesting. I remember when, when I was uh, uh, in junior high and high school and I was doing lots of learning to program and things like that, you know, I loved to go to the bookstore and wander through the computer book section and, and I'd get a book and take it home and read it cover to cover and, and learn a lot of stuff. Yeah. And uh, these days I take my son and uh, we go down to the bookstore. He's about the same age I was and we kind of look around and... And we go over to the used bookstore, and I find him an old book I remember that's still good. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry, son. You'll learn more from this old thing than you will from any of those newfangled books. And, uh, you know, uh, it's uh, the new stuff. It's just hard to to keep up. You know, for all of that crazy content that's kind of half relevant, at least it's, uh, you know, newer when you're hunting on the web. Right. but, I mean, to you, the point, if you were committing now, there wouldn't be another version of any framework until the next version of Studio, and any framework book would have a decent life. But the reality is, you know, you've all but admitted there's there's going to be something shipping in the near future that's going to impact what people use for Entity Framework. And what does that do to any book published on the topic? Well, you know, I think the other thing that's a uh, that's a real challenge is that customers want and we want to have a conversation while we're doing the development. Right. And so how do you even keep straight the stuff that's CTP from the stuff that's finally shipped? Right. Um, and, uh, 
Uh, and it is a hard problem. You know, there was a time when Microsoft and lots of other places were a lot more closed. And uh, it had uh, a lot of disadvantages, but it had some advantages as well. Um, and I think that's a pendulum we're going to see, you know, swinging back and forth as we try and figure out how to optimize it. Yeah, I do feel like Microsoft is actually becoming less transparent, becoming more translucent. And, and I don't know that I necessarily feel like it's a bad thing either. There's, there's a point to be made that when you're always showing uh, everything you're doing in the rawest form, you almost generate a level of uncertainty for the customer. Mm-hmm. So you look for ways to sort of show enough and, and the right kinds of things. We want to feel like we're participating, but we don't want to participate too much. <laughs> don't scare us. It's kind of like Just, our audience this yeah, weekend. Make us feel good about it, but don't scare us. <laughs> Speaking of our audience, I want to give a shout out to Joey DeVilla, the thriller from Manila. And uh, he has a blog called globalnerdy.com. And I just found through Google that he did a, a great article on the live weekend. Just just nailed what we're doing here. Wow. So, and also plays accordion. So he's uh, – Deliberately, too. Deliberately. is a <laughs> developer evangelist for Microsoft Canada, plays rock and roll accordion. And uh, he says he looks like Harold and grooves like Kumar. I don't know what that means. <laughs> he functions in disaster and finishes in style. Joey, you are the bomb. You're the bomb of the day, man. Thank rock, you. Rock and roll accordion? God bless that guy. <laughs> and he lives in Toronto, so he's Canadian, eh? Yeah, there you go. Eh? <laughs> the accordion guy. Globalnerdy.com. Check out his blog. Thanks, Joey. And uh, also, we got a tweet from... Chris and Harris, uh, we're using EF, but we're having trouble finding an efficient way to reassociate disconnected entities with existing entities. Well, uh, you know, the recommendation I have for that is self-tracking entities. One of the features we added in EF4 was really designed to help with exactly this uh, pattern. It doesn't work for everybody, but, um, you know, the idea is... I can take uh, a graph of entities and I can serialize it to some other place. Maybe it's Silverlight, maybe it's something else. Um, make changes and it keeps track of those changes in such a way that when you bring it back to the mid-tier, you can reconnect it to the context and have it apply all those kinds of changes um, and, and kind of get back in sync. Um, the other thing uh, that is a big change in, in EF4 that really kind of grew out of the self-tracking entities effort is that the sort of the core methods for changing the state of an entity uh, and those kinds of things have, uh, have become a lot more flexible as we work through the exercise of how to make that work uh, in an automatic fashion. If you want to take more control, you know, we found we needed new capabilities and, and a lot of progress been made there. Self-tracking entities. There you go. Yep. So, the, so the idea is that they try to exactly do that track where where connections are made and and keep them if they break um well they they track the changes that you make so so the the sort of the canonical example is if i'm not using ria services i'm not using wcf data services but i do have more than one tier you know i have my mid tier and then i have either silverlight or or maybe it's a web server on a second box or something like that and for some reason that other machine doesn't have direct line of sight to the database then uh, I'm going to want to write some kind of a service where I retrieve entities on, on my mid-tier using the entity framework, 
and then I want to send those entities over to another box, and they may need to make changes to them and then send them back and have them saved in the uh, back to the database. And okay. the problem is that the the context in the entity framework is what keeps track of the changes normally. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're in this other tier, you don't have access to the context because right. it's the thing that has the connection to the database and so on. Yeah. So what we have is a T4 template that you use to generate your entity classes instead of the default uh, code generation. And it generates classes that not only work with the entity framework because they're POCO entities, but also keep track of, of anything you do to them and, and add a new method called apply changes that uh, when you bring the changed entities back from the other tier, you can just call apply changes and it'll look at all of its you know private information about what changed and what didn't and what the original values were and things like that and push them back into the context just as though you had never been off on another place. Dan, I think that's going to have to be the last word of the hour. Uh, thank you very much for uh, always, always a pleasure to talk to you and very informative as usual. Thank you. Well, it, was a, it was a great time. I, I enjoyed it. All right. And we will be back online in about five or six minutes with Brian Noyes. Stick around. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a